Chapter 7 Paradoxes Well, like anyone researching a college teacher, I went on ratemyprofessors.com to look you up. And uh, these are some of the things people said about you. Dr. Wallert is a great guy. He acts way more like just a normal dude than he does a professor, which made class interesting. Uh, He's helpful, easygoing, and has encyclopedic knowledge. His books are perfect, not too dense. No stress, easy A, and a great education. He's the ideal professor. Do you agree with those things? Um... I don't think I'm an easy A. The, the data doesn't show that. <laughs> Matthew Wallert, Change NCH Council member. And I love my content area. I just want to make it. I want to make it something that that students want to delve into. So, for the most part, I agree with you know the easy A. I I, I, I get. I don't know. I mean, the stats don't show an easy A, but um, I give every benefit. If there, I give every benefit of doubt to the student. Uh, and, I, and I want that kind of relationship, and I do even at the high school level, too. Okay. That one hang-up aside, uh, everything about your personality, that you're easygoing, good sense of humor, uh, are you agreeing with that part? Sure. Okay, gotcha. Matt Wallert is a longtime high school social studies teacher just across the state border in Kentucky. He has a Ph.D. in political science and is a professor for national security at nearby Miami University. Dr. Wallert is how people sometimes refer to him in meetings. He moved to North College Hill about 14 years ago when things looked a little different around the city. The thing I've noticed, and I've mentioned a lot in council meetings in the past, is that a lot of people have uh, lost a lot of home value. And for, for what the folks that settle here and we're middle class. Um, this is our route in America to the American dream. And our house, our home is our biggest investment. Um, and as a result, we've had some people leave and, and um, the rental, uh, the percentage of rentals has gone up quite a bit, which, you know, I'm not shedding any kind of bad light on rentals, but it, I've been a renter and I know that it's different when, when I rent it than if I own it. We were hit hard with foreclosures. Yeah. So why did you join Serve NCH? Um, I I saw him one day by the side of the road picking up trash. And I saw him and I stopped. I said, what are you guys doing? Who are you? And and I got to talking to him and they invited me to one of, actually Pat Hartzell invited me to one of the meetings. And I went out and I, and I liked, liked the personalities of the folks I dealt with. Um, You know, and I liked that their, I felt that their heart was in the right place, that they're trying to, you know, tr- trying to improve uh, the, the city, and I like the fact that they abandoned their national politics because I think oftentimes we we cut ourselves into segments of society based upon national issues, and it, it doesn't take a Democrat or a Republican to, to shovel the snow. That's an interesting statement for Wallert to make. In 2016, he ran as a Republican for the Ohio State House. He ended up losing to the Democrat. But then... A few weeks later... But I have a serious problem with how this whole incident of Sean O'Shea resigning has been handled by the majority on council. Why all the secrecy? In a letter to the Board of Elections, council member Shauna O'Shea announced her official resignation effective November 21st. Apparently, no one had informed the mayor, Maureen Mason. You accused the 
administration of not being transparent, even though we try to inform you of what we are doing. And yet, there was a council meeting on the night of November 21, and there was nothing said. Okay, maybe she hadn't made up her mind completely, but within hours of that meeting, she emailed all of you on council, not the president of council, uh, to let you know it was effective immediately. How could anyone trust what you say or do when you act in this manner over something as significant as this to the city? Actions speak louder than words. You can say transparent over and over, but in practice, this is how you act. I started keeping a list that I titled North College Hill Paradoxes. It catalogs all of the situations that run counter to what you would expect, knowing what the two sides claim to care about. For instance, Change NCH was responsible for televising the council meetings in the name of transparency. And yet, there are scores of committee meetings where the minutes are missing. The Democrats, on the other hand, were furious that Change NCH closed the city center to pinch pennies. But the Brooks administration was guilty of the same charge when it shut down the city pool. And when that happened, Change was the one angry about eliminating programs. People on each side have sued the city. Yet they have complained about people on the other side suing the city. And then there is perhaps the most unusual process in the entire city charter, something that has repeated itself over and over with increasing frequency. It started as a good government idea, but it turned into a way for people to flow in and out of office quickly, quietly, and occasionally against the will of the voters. This is Tear It Down. There is no one correct way to describe the two political groups in North College Hill. On the one side, obviously, is Change NCH. They are not a party. They are a political committee to elect candidates. So, in one sense, calling people Change NCH council members makes as much sense as calling someone an Americans for Prosperity congressman or a National Air Traffic Controllers Association senator, both of which are names of other PACs. But for the sake of simplicity, I will still call them Change NCH Council members. On the other side are what I call the Democrats. Originally, it would have meant people who were on the same ticket as former Mayor Dan Brooks, like Maureen Mason, or at one time, Nick Link. But lately, the Democrats are really anybody who isn't part of change. In 2009, the first year Change NCH got candidates elected to the council, everyone agreed to run without party labels. As with so many things in North College Hill, money was a big factor. 
By avoiding a primary election among the Democrats, the city would save $20,000. The next year, people involved with change drew up an amendment to the charter to make it official city policy that all elections would be nonpartisan. So far, that's not different at all from how most cities elect their council members. But in that amendment, there was a second part. And this is where the intrigue begins. Just because someone doesn't agree with you doesn't mean that they don't have the best interest of the city at heart. They perceive things differently. They come from it differently. Uh, There was a discussion about Mayor Brooks. I wouldn't know who Mayor Brooks was if he came up and sat next to me. How did you first get on the North College Hill City Council? Um, Last December, uh, one of the uh, other members, um, uh, retired council, the seat opened, and uh, their nominating committee then meets and, and selected me. A nominating committee, also known as an appointment committee. In the charter, it was always the case that if a council member or mayor left before the end of their term, a nominating committee would pick their replacement. Originally, when people ran as Democrats and Republicans, the political party of the person leaving would appoint somebody. But when elections became nonpartisan, that had to change. And speaking of change, it became obvious that when Change North College Hill began electing council members, they needed something to allow them to replace their own candidates. Nick Link of Change NCH. That was that was one of the reasons why, you know, looking down the line, that's why, you know, uh, that was the, I think that was done in 2010, if, if my memory serves me correctly. That was passed, so... Uh, we tried to get it in place as soon as possible after, after the election. In that same charter amendment, candidates could now choose their own committee for who would replace them. That method is how Amber Bailey got into office. In our world, what happens is when you get elected, you have to, well, once you get your petitions filled out, you have to sign you have to put in five people that could be your appointment committee. And Matt Wallert. There's four or five. I, I can't remember past, past that who it was. And Tracy Nichols. So they met and they had to decide who would take his place. Maureen Mason called and asked me if I would be interested in that position. And Amy Bancroft. I think they focused on, you know, why I'd be the right person. I mean, it was a lot like a job interview. And Sean Feeney. When I was the person under consideration, they, they were like hush-hush about those things. So I I was unaware of uh, whoever else might have been considered. And Maureen Mason. There'd be names that would be thrown out for consideration, but either when asked, they said no, or it was, you know, there would be some reason why possibly we would not want them to be appointed to it. And Ron Mosby. I'm not sure at the time that I that I knew all of the people who were being considered for it. So I, I'd have to say no. Mosby, who was appointed in December 2014, used to be a chief of staff to members of the Cincinnati City Council. Like, you know, Cincinnati does the same thing. Right, and which is a larger, which is the county seat for Hamilton County. They do they they do it the same way. You once the person is elected to council, you have to appoint 
who your designee designate who who you designate to appoint a successor in the event of that you cannot uh, fulfill your obligation in in terms of your uh, your elected office. How often did that happen when you were working at the city council, where someone resigned? Well, I mean, uh, the first, well, actually two, and and both of them, interestingly enough, were men that I worked for. So the first person I worked for, he stepped down before the end of his term. He and and so they he gave his. So I think his uh, he designated another. He designated that person, and that person designated, you know, appointed his successor. So, I mean, it happened in just the four years that I was there, four and a half, whatever. It happened twice, and both of them were while I was in office. Thankfully, North College Hill doesn't use that mind-boggling method of the Cincinnati Council, where each council member chooses another council member to appoint their replacement. However, what is strange about North College Hill is that in the past four years, appointment committees have filled a staggering 11 seats with unelected candidates. You ran for re-election in 2013 and lost, is that right? Correct. And then you were appointed to Amy Bancroft's seat when she became mayor? Correct. Did that maneuver register to you as maybe going against the desire of the voters? Um, I don't know. It's a very close election, and I, I don't know. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Uh, well, it came up again when Sean Feeney uh, lost, then was appointed council president. Did that seem? Mm-hmm. It seems odd. It seems odd as an outside observer. I'll put it that way. Did it seem odd to you as someone who's been through this process many times? That we pick who lost in the election to fill a place. Right. Um. I was part of the charter review. I guess when we were talking about being nonpartisan, and if someone would resign or die in office. Uh, who would take their place, one of the options being the person who was next in line, you know, seven seats, whoever came in, eight, or uh, with the staggered, you know, four seats, whoever came in, fifth. And so that would be the, you know, along the same lines, only then you would have the possibility that it would be somebody who was uh, of a total different mindset as far as what they what their goals and their ideas were so this way okay it's somebody who ran and and didn't win but it was somebody who wanted to serve who you know so who do you pick somebody who's interested in it or you know who's of the same mindset or do you pick someone who's totally opposite but came in under the cut-off line, you know. In North College Hill, filling a vacancy for political office is, from what I've been told, something that takes place completely out of the public eye. While I cannot speak to every appointment in the last four years, generally there is no public announcement of a vacancy. In some cases, the people resigning their seat tell their committee who they prefer as a replacement. And then there are the more eyebrow-raising cases. 
In the space of three and a half years, the city had three different mayors and three different council presidents. Here was the sequence. When Dan Brooks resigned, Councilmember Amy Bancroft was appointed mayor. Maureen Mason, who had just lost her own council seat, was appointed to Bancroft's seat. When Amy Bancroft resigned, Maureen Mason was appointed mayor, while also being a member of that appointment committee, and Sean Feeney was appointed to her seat on council. Feeney lost his election to council, but was appointed council president when Kathy Riga resigned. Then when he resigned last summer, Tracy Nichols was appointed council president, and her council seat ultimately went to Amber Bailey. If you're asking yourselves how the residents of North College Hill are supposed to keep up with who actually represents them, I'm not sure I have an answer to that. And if you're asking why is it so difficult to get people to run who will actually serve an entire four-year term, I would love to know. Sean Feeney. So I've, I've always been politically minded. I was a minor in political science in college. Um, So, of course, I was going to get involved. I was involved in uh, democratic politics going back to high school. And honestly, it was the typical, you know, here's a first ring suburb. um, So you get absolutely no media attention for almost anything going on there. um, Because if you turn on the news, you're going to see city of Cincinnati politics and you're going to see Hamilton County politics. Uh, You're lucky if you even get state politics and and Cincinnati media, honestly. Um, but there was absolutely nothing in North College Hill. So, so trying to bring up these issues like, hey, we need candidates, and here's the importance of running for city council in North College Hill. Um, we were just not having a success <laughs> with that, that you know, communication of the need until these people would come to council meetings. Some of our most successful candidates, Amber Bailey being a great example, we invited her to the council meetings and she came and saw what was going on and was like, I need to do something about this. And that's true on their side as well. The people that they start bringing to city council meetings tend to be the people who are in their candidate pool come the next cycle. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's, this is a problem nationwide for municipalities. People just don't pay attention locally and it's just exasperated in that region, in my opinion. But it isn't only the Democrats who have been taking advantage of the Charter's vacancy rules. In early 2017, Change NCH Councilmember James Dewald resigned after just one year in office. His nominating committee appointed Ornita Brown. If Dewald had resigned any earlier, Brown would have been on the ballot the following November. But because he was in that seat for a year, Brown will serve three full years as a council member without ever having been elected. When they wrote that charter, they had two-year terms. So that's kind of why it was like that one-year cliff. And it was like, you wait a year and then you can appoint somebody else. Well, the thinking back then was, that, oh, that's only half the term. Now, you're, with the four-year terms, it's a, a much bigger problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, not to exclude anyone, but you were appointed to two different positions without ever being elected and served a year and a half. So, yep. Do you think it makes it easier when these nominating committees of your friends and allies are able to pick someone? Do you think it's easier for someone to make the decision to resign knowing that they won't have to put the city through an election? 
Uh, I absolutely think so. You know, that's a, a big driver of it. I mean, the whole reason they went nonpartisan in the city was to so that they didn't have to pay as a city to, to have primary elections. So it's it's all about saving money. Um, but it's also, you know, you're probably familiar with how it works in, in, in partisan circles. Um, whenever they have the capability of doing these kind of things, they will, right? So if you get elected knowing that you need to not, you know, serve three years down the line, uh, you wait that year, and then as soon as you pass that mark, then you can hand the baton to whoever you want to replace you, basically. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate reality of uh, not having special elections every time, um, which if, if the state of Ohio would change how they funded elections, uh, you could certainly make it much easier for special elections to happen and there would be less of a, a cost-saving uh, effort from the municipalities. Or maybe don't have eight council members and a mayor. Take it down to four council members and a mayor or, or something. That that would be a very smart choice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in, in other states and other municipalities, uh, there are much more effective situations uh, with, with a fewer number of people um, but it, it has pluses and minuses, right? So I ran for Hamilton County Commissioner. That's a three-person board. And so the, the power flips back and forth very quickly. And one of the nice things about having the, the larger uh, group of uh, council people and having the, the term staggered is that uh, you can deal with the change a, a little more gradually. <laughs> uh, that has a little bit of a double meaning, what you just said, but. <laughs> As you know already, for years the council hunted for ways to pay the city employees the lowest amounts possible. We heard the mayor explode at the council over the reduced and in some cases zeroed out salaries that council members wanted to spend. That was disturbing in itself. But now, I have a different take on the whole business of salary cutting. If it is such a hassle to get eight council members to finish their terms, and if they all represent the same 9,300 people, what actually is the benefit of having that many legislators? Are the decisions somehow better? Is there some virtue I'm not picking up on? North College Hill council members make $4,800 a year. If there were only, for example, five of them, that would save over $14,000. I mean, if there was a way to cut $14,000 on the salaries of employees, there is no way the council majority would have passed that up. This would, of course, require changing the charter. But the city did it once to save money. Maybe it's time again to look in the mirror. On November 7th of last year, the city had its regular election. Amber Bailey, who told me she was torn between wanting to win and wanting to change things from the outside, was elected to a four-year term. The next day, I sent her a text message asking how she felt. Dude, she responded, I was freaking elected.
A week later, there was an email thread going between council members. Amber and the Finance Committee Chair, Mary Jo Zorb, were discussing some legislation that needed to be altered slightly. The conversation appeared to be calm and rational. But suddenly, at 2.30 in the morning, Councilmember Renee Stiles replied to everyone, including the clerk, the finance director, and the city administrator. Ms. Bailey, she wrote, It is certainly inexcusable and unprofessional to blatantly be disrespectful to your fellow council members. Your comment pertaining to Ms. Zorb as being incompetent is demeaning, belittling, and downright rude. It is comments like these that causes animosity and is terrible representation of the position you hold as an appointed and now newly elected official. Moving forward, consider your words more cautiously and set the bar high to lead by example during these next four years in a positive, professional standard. It was bewildering to me why Renee Stiles would lash out so viciously against Amber. But looking back, it's possible she knew that it was the last chance she would ever get. Because three days later, at the council meeting... It is bittersweet that this chapter of my political tenure as an elected council member will come to a close tonight. This announcement and this letter is my formal resignation as an elected council member of the city of North College Hill, effective Monday, November 20th, 2017, at 11.59 p.m. Years ago, Change NCH passed a term limits amendment to prevent the likes of Dan Brooks and Maureen Mason from serving more than 12 years. Yet paradoxically, Change has struggled to keep its own elected members on council. With Renee Stiles' resignation, this meant that at the end of 2017, of the eight members of the North College Hill City Council, five had not been elected to the seat they sat in. Did you see that phenomenon of helicopter husbands whose wives were in positions of power? <laughs> and I guess you would be included, Al. I would. I never even thought about that. We use that in uh, higher education uh, with the helicopter parents. This is Al Long, husband of city administrator Cheryl Long. We were talking about a phrase that I heard from Colin Thornton, the husband of former mayor Amy Bancroft. There was one particular behavior that he saw during his wife's administration that bothered him. You know, I would call the husbands uh, helicopter husbands um, because they, you know, showed up to every meeting and were obsessed with North College Hill politics. And uh, their comeback would be, well, you're on here defending your wife, too. And I guess uh, for me, that feels like there's a difference to defending your wife against public comments and showing up at every single council meeting and, I don't know, harassing uh, people on a daily basis. Colin was a, a papa bear when it came to his, his wife. I, I've learned Cheryl can fight her own damn battles. And, and you know, at the end of the day, and I, and, I, and I tell very few people this, absent someone in Cheryl's face, calling her the N-word. Um, I feel like she can just about handle anything. And, and when that happens, 
I would probably have a couple of direct words to say, and only because experience, Michael. Other than that, I, I don't claim I don't want to be a helicopter husband. I, you know, she'll she'll grow an ass woman, and I think a pretty decent professional. So she handles herself well. Uh, on April 28th, I submitted a public records request. The most prominent member of the helicopter husbands was Jim O'Shea, who was married to council member Shauna O'Shea. Frequently in attendance at council meetings and a regular commenter on the community Facebook group, many of O'Shea's public comments leveled accusations at the administration, accusations that he backed up with the charter or state law. According to the Public Records Act of the Ohio Sunshine Law, inspection of the records must be provided promptly, and copies of the records must be provided within a reasonable amount of time. I would have to think that most of us would agree that three weeks is more than reasonable, and it's definitely not prompt. Also, the law states that noncompliance may cost the city $100 per day should I desire to litigate? When can I expect an official reply to my request? On occasion, O'Shea would bait the law director, Bill Dieters, into a nasty confrontation. Um, I disagree with you completely about what reasonable means. Reasonable is based on the totality of the circumstances. Don't smile and laugh like you're an idiot. I didn't do that to you when, you, when you're up there pontificating. So well, you're gonna actually, listen, you have. Excuse me. Actually, you have. Let me finish. You are going to listen to me now. Well, you know, okay. really, I don't have to listen oh, to you. Well, well I, can, you, I can't ask you questions. Can I ask you questions? Are you willing to answer? Uh, technically, this is a council meeting. I, but go ahead, Mr. Dieters. Go ahead, Mr. Dieters. No, I did not ask you. I did not ask you a question. I'm answering your question, sir. You asked when you could receive the record. I asked a question from the administration. And last time I checked, I was part of the administration. Correct. Okay. Go ahead and answer, sir. That dealt with issues regarding someone's payroll records. Yes, which is public record. You're, do you have a hard time listening? Because I'm going finish speaking, okay? Because I Go didn't ahead. interrupt you. I gave you the courtesy of not to do so. All right? Do, are we clear? Are we clear? That involved payroll records, which have issues regarding Social Security numbers, which can have issues regarding per, personal uh, privacy matters. It can have issues regarding criminal background check information. It is issues which we as a city, if we release that information regarding a public employee, and we haven't done our due diligence to check that to ensure that nothing gets out that we're not permitted to release, the city's exposed to liability. So I would say to you, waiting 12, 13, 14 business days for payroll records is not unreasonable. And if you should so choose to sue the city for that, I would invite you to get started this evening. Mr. O'Shea, During 2016, O'Shea would sit in the back row of council meetings and point okay, what appeared to be a cell phone at the mayor and administrator. The reason I know this? Amber Bailey was pointing her phone at him, which meant Amber was covertly recording O'Shea, covertly recording the administration. Stop staring at me. I'm feeling unsafe because Mr. O'Shea is over here staring at me. In one of the videos, the police chief notices what's going on and begins chuckling at how absurd this all is. Not all of the helicopter spouses were husbands. Brittany Feeney, the wife of Sean Feeney, would rip into the council members from time to time as well. Kick them out. We, we elected these people. We elected these people to represent us, to listen to us. And they 
some of them are sitting there telling us they don't want to do that. They are telling us they don't want to do their jobs. That is unacceptable. In speaking with people who lead other cities, each one of them felt that spouses absolutely had the right to show up and speak at a council meeting. But still, many of them were deeply uncomfortable with that idea. Among other reasons, there would be a suspicion that the husband in the audience was saying things that his council member wife believed, but maybe couldn't say. Normally, having more people involved in politics is a good thing. But all of these spouses showing up to start or prolong an argument was absolutely not helpful. And that is why, when Cheryl Long was appointed city administrator, it was imperative that she question. say, I don't know if anybody knows me in my relationship with my husband, but if anybody knows, I am very independent from what he says, does, acts, or anything. Honestly, you cannot have somebody who is completely different than what, how my husband is. So just because he may affiliate himself with one way does not necessarily mean I'm the same way. Has your wife ever told you, Al, please don't come to the council meetings because you're making my life more difficult? Uh, I don't know if she said exactly like that, but she's definitely cautioned me on being tempered. Al Long is 47 years old with a law degree, someone who is on both the school board and the recreation commission, and who willingly admits that he rubs people the wrong way. One of his favorite phrases to use at meetings is, I submit to you. Uh, and I submit this to you, Miss O'Shea. It, it appears that your intent was merely chaos, to create as much chaos as possible to stall or delay or try to um, find a way to convince some of your colleagues who are acting in the best interest of all the citizens of North College Hill to change their mind. Um, Whenever Long showed up, he didn't get nasty, but he did get personal in a way that people viewed as an attack. I am not up here to create chaos. What good would that do for me to be up here to create chaos? I mean, that's, that's silly. But that is my feelings regarding Mr. Long's statement, and I wish he would have stayed and faced me and let me tell him what I thought since he stood up there and told me what he thought. Shauna O'Shea was the target of many of his complaints. Again, she's uh, solidifying in the third instance the need for training. We you are telling me it's none of my business to, sta- to stay out of that your business contract. to do the compensation. I don't know if you can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, but if I could speak Spanish, I would say it differently. I wouldn't understand. But she wasn't the only one Al Long had problems with. And I say to you, administration, we, you, you need to learn how to be patient and appreciate the lack of understanding and reasonableness that comes when, when people on council, not all people, just Renee and Ms. Zorb, show you their true colors. Tonight, we were able to see that a lot of what Ms. Stiles has built inside of her is personal. She brought up an issue that had nothing to do with nothing. It's personal. She's offended, upset for some reason about the salary. That's good stuff. When she allows her true colors to be shown, 
because the camera is rolling. Secondly, Ms. Zorb has also shown her true colors tonight by opposing legislation without adjustable reason. We appreciate that. People in North College Hill need to see that live and in living color because that is the essence of ignorance. And we appreciate it in abundance from Ms. Styles tonight. Thank you for your ignorance. We appreciate it in abundance from Ms. Zorb tonight. Thank you for your ignorance. Any questions? Um, thank you, Mr. Long, for... You're very welcome. Um, I have more if you like. No, I don't. Are you um, sure? Positive. So... Will I be able to respond to what you're saying? No. Um, so, so can I say When that? Long claimed that Renee Stiles was motivated by personal reasons, something that's not obvious is that the two of them have a history... They were on the Recreation Commission before she became a council member, and he considered her a friend. You know, Renee came to the Rec Commission. She brought a level of professionalism and organization that I think it never had before. She had a fucking binder with activities, ideals, plans. It was actually file folders, not a binder, but point taken. And that was the Bible that we used to put on all these different programs. And it was Renee's idea to, to make the community picnic as big as it was and, the, uh, and involve the pool and everybody. You know, I, I, helped, I helped her put that together. But shit, that was Renee's idea. She did a great job. Now that Stiles was questioning his wife's salary, the helicopter husband in him came out. It's a personal attack, which is fine. Um, it's unwarranted. So that behavior in itself should be addressed. And as far as the city administrator, it's her spouse. And at some point, that might have to be addressed. When it came to spending money, it was not just the city administrator's salary, the recreation director's salary, or the finance director's salary that council members were upset with. It was everything. And in some cases, nothing at all. And if I, if I may, from a financial standpoint, there is no reason, um, no financial reason, rather, um, to not have something in place by January 1. It was the last week of December 2016, and the city's finance director was urging the council to pass a budget by January 1st. In reality, what the council had in front of them was not even a full year's budget. It was a temporary budget for just the first three months of 2017. Ohio does allow cities to do this, although it's not something that typically happens unless there is some major financial uncertainty. Now, all eyes were on the finance chair, Mary Jo Zorb, who was asked what her objection was to passing the temporary budget. So, so is the issue the fact that, that there's not an allocation in for the city center in the, in the temporary budget? Or is it, are there other issues within the temporary budget? When I look at the temporary budget, I see a lot of fluff that could be skimmed to make room for the city center. A lot of fluff. That word immediately pulled an alarm for the administration. And my question is what, you say fluff, can you give me a specific area that you're talking about fluff? Well, a lot of the things that I asked about during the the meetings, um, things like... So things we gave you answers on? 
so there was something further after you got our answers, you didn't like it and then didn't communicate it to us? Is that it? And I'm sorry because I'm, this is my, I don't mean to sound, I'm just extremely frustrated because there has been plenty of opportunities to talk about this. And then it sounds like we have not continued this communication. And I understand we have issues talking to each other, but so we give you an answer and then you don't like it and then we're done with it? Is that how it's going? So here's the bottom line. I'm one vote. If nobody else at this table agrees with me, it doesn't matter. It'll pass. So, so it doesn't even matter. I'm telling you my opinion. That's it. Ms. Sarp. Yeah. Um, can you give me an example of a couple of the things you might be talking about? At this point, Change Council member Susan Whitlesbach attempted to have Zorb define what fluff was for her. Well, it was all the things that we talked about during the committee meetings. Just as an example, just a couple. I, I'm sure there's a couple that probably stick out. No. I can give you one for mine. Council member Pat Hartzell interrupted and said he was against spending money for technology. After listening to him, Susie Whitlesbach again asked quietly what Zorb's problem was. I guess, Ms. Zorb, what were some of the things that you had found that was you were saying was fluff? I have another item if you want to. Okay, Mr. Hartzell. Once more, Pat Hartzell saved Mary Jo Zorb from answering. But a few minutes later, Zorb admitted she didn't really have anything. It's, it's really just, it's nickel and dime kind of stuff that adds up, Susie. It's not, there's, there's nothing that jumps out at me, which is why I wouldn't be able to come up with any numbers to put numbers into the rec center. Later that night, at one of countless special meetings the council forced itself into over the years, they failed to suspend the third reading and pass the budget. And no one really seemed to know why. Tracy Nichols, who normally was not vocal about her frustrations, said, I don't like to use this word. My irritation is that this is a pattern. This has gone on for the past two or three years. We've had that budget since they said since October. I guess I'm just a little bothered by the fact that here we are again in December and we cannot pass a budget. That's a waste of time. I just, I've wasted so much time in these committee meetings and in these meetings with, I have questions, but what is your question? And you can't even identify what you're questioning it. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, am I glad I don't have to sit through any of those committee meetings anymore? Yeah, I am, <laughs> for that reason. Because it's irritating. You know, who likes to waste their time? And it, it, it was a whole lot of wasted time. Mary Jo Zorb was elected to council in 2015. Her biography on the Change NCH website says she is a lifelong resident, an electrical engineer, and a system analyst. Almost immediately, she was made the chair of the Finance Committee, arguably the most important council committee. And early on, she asked me to give her some guidance because she was telling things uh, given to her that she didn't understand. Nick Link. Uh, she asked if she could come over and sit at our table and uh, bring paperwork and uh, pick my brain. And probably that was a two or three hour session. 
since then, she has tended to call me when she had other questions. Uh, rather than coming over and, and taking up two or three hours, she'll call me on specific items. Uh, and I do my best to uh, give my input to her on those items. Okay, but so it still continues you know, to this day. Occasionally, yes. Hmm. Do you remember ever talking with her about concerns over fluff in the budget? Over what in the budget? Fluff. Fluff, did you say? Yes, sir. Uh, I, I don't necessarily remember. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I don't specifically remember the use of that term. I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure that every budget has a little bit of that in it. Uh, it gets snuck, snuck in here and there. In yet another paradox, the council would often complain that the administration gave them legislation at the last minute and expected them to pass it right away. I never heard any examples where this was done purposefully to spite council, but oftentimes that was true. If it took three council meetings, over a month and a half, to pass something, and the state or the county needed it in half the time, I can see how that's upsetting. But the flip side is that some council members would wait until the third reading to talk about what bothered them. And in a similar frustration, non-controversial items that made little or no changes to city policy... I don't think there is a large swell of citizens who would be opposed uh, to having a mutual aid agreement for fire and emergency medical. So I make a motion that we suspend second and third readings on this and have it in effect as early as possible. Would often fail to get the supermajority needed to pass. Mr. Hartzell? Yes. Ms. Nichols? Yes. Ms. O'Shea? No. Motion fails five to one, Madam President. It's not unique to North College Hill that a city council member will wait until the last minute before objecting to something. It's also not unique to North College Hill that a council member will refuse, on principle, to speed up the process. But to put this in context, there are plenty of other cities that don't have three readings. They regularly pass legislation with only two. I don't know why it was important for three readings to be the magic number in the charter to begin with. Most other city councils have something called a consent agenda. It lets the council pass non-controversial legislation in one motion. In North College Hill, you can make the argument that nothing is truly non-controversial. But to insist on three readings for everything that comes before council is not only unusual, but it implies the council cannot differentiate between things that are big and things that are small. A lack of understanding is apparently what led to another misstep in early 2017, when moments into a committee meeting, Renee Stiles and Mary Jo Zorb decided to hold a joint session between Zorb's Finance Committee and Stiles' Rules and Laws Committee. This, you just kind of make it a joint meeting. Heck yeah. When the finance director walked in midway through, she calmly tried to reference the fact that something might be wrong. As you just walked in. Is this, I'm sorry, is this finance committee? We kind of overlapped it a little bit, in, but we're talking about the um, salaries. 
A week later, Mayor Mason chewed them out for failing to follow the publicly advertised committee schedule. She called it a violation of Ohio's Sunshine Law. Cheryl Long, the city administrator, played the good cop. This position is new to some of us. Mistakes can be made. So the only thing I think that would be a injustice is if we don't learn from those mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. The mayor's going to make mistakes. Heck, I make them all day. That's why I have amazing staff members with me. But instead of taking this time and saying it wasn't or it isn't, let's just move on, acknowledge what was done, and be respectful to the residents. This raises a question, one that arises not out of the story, but about the story. Why am I the one telling it to you? Why did an amateur city council member, sitting next to other amateur council members, working with an amateur city administrator, come to an amateur city council observer with her concerns? From my point of view, the answer is, Who else even cares? Can you think off the top of your head of a reporter, someone with a media outlet who would regularly come to your meetings and report on the decisions of the government? No. Uh, we. The only time I, I got the, the media there was uh, when we installed Maureen Mason as the first female mayor. And we had multiple outlets for the, the inauguration or whatever you call it. Um, but that was it. Like, they did not come back at all. The, the time before that was when uh, Sean O'Shea did her lawsuit. She got the local Fox station to, to do a piece on that lawsuit. Um, so there's a gap of several years uh, media attention. And all you hear is negative. Well, actually, when uh, Amy Bancroft, uh, who was the mayor... But she wasn't elected. That's why Maureen got the media. She was the first elected one. Amy had been appointed to finish out Dan Brooks' term. Um, When she resigned, the reasons for her resignation uh, were brought up to the media. Um, Basically, the the vitriol that that you've seen and heard directed towards Cheryl Long was similarly directed towards Amy Bancroft. um, And her family. And her family. That's the main reason she dropped out. Um, but the media did cover that, but it was the, the local newspaper, the Enquirer, and it was really just uh, the typical, like, did somebody leave for this reason? Like, it, it didn't do any investigative journalism whatsoever. It was just a, you know, put a question mark on it so that we don't have to actually verify anything. Here's two opposing stories, and let's just run those. Right, right. And the consequence of that is that now I have to come in and sift through eight years of of stuff to actually answer that question. Yeah. The news outlets, they only see North College Field for drugs, crime, murders, drugs, crime, and murders. But they don't see that the leadership in North College Field are only out for themselves. They're, they're only out to help them and their people and everybody else are you people or those people, better known as the area that I live in in North College Hill. They don't they don't get it. They choose to they choose to think that we're just in a little city like Mayberry when in all reality we're not at all or anything close to it. 
What Amber Bailey refers to are the news articles that come up if you search for North College Hill. Robberies, shootings, almost always with the faces of black suspects. Fairly or unfairly, what's covered hardly ever are the regular actions of the city's white leaders inside the city center. But that's the gospel of today. Call me in six months, I'll tell you the truth again. (laughs) (laughs) Call me in a year, I'm going to be here. That's the thing, is like, that's how it goes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You'll have to call me because I'll be long done with North College Hill by then, (laughs) hopefully. I know. It's been a lot, but I'm glad that you've taken the time to and you've you've gotten all the sides of the story and I really hope that you I really hope that you do magic with it. Just create some fucking magic. Let everybody know. Put the truth out there. Dear God, put the truth out there. The final loose end to this story is whatever happened to the O'Shea lawsuit. Well, after three years... If we really feel that the individual that did harm um, is going to pay for that harm. In the case of this lawsuit, that's not the case. The people that are going to pay for the harm are going to be the citizens. The council voted four to three to settle the lawsuit. The city paid $100,000, $75,000 out of its own pocket, to Shauna O'Shea's lawyers. It also agreed to never hire former city administrator Mark Fitzgerald again, and to only pay employees at or below the amount the city council agreed to. How do you feel about the legacy of that case for North College Hill? The legacy? Yeah. It, It has a legacy? Um... I would argue it does, yeah. You think so? Um, yeah. I think in 30 years, no one will know it ever happened. Matt Miller Novak was Shauna O'Shea's attorney. Uh, you know, in general, when you know you you file a suit against the government, um, you know, you know the legacy of suits, period, are to ultimately have a long-term effect on government and how it behaves. I mean, ultimately. If no one brings an action when they recognize something is wrong or, you know, governments overstep their power, there's nothing to stop them from doing it. You know, there's there's obviously consequences that people don't like about lawsuits, but there's there's long felt consequences that they don't even necessarily realize um, without without people bringing action. Um What's to stop government from doing anything that it wants to do? In the summer of 2017, months after the settlement, Councilmember Matt Wallert introduced a resolution of no confidence in Bill Dieters, the law director. Wallert felt that Dieters had given the council conflicting advice. And? Is that he admitted that he did instruct Linda Fitzgerald to write the letter dated September 9th, 2013. Um, There were a number of depositions given in, in the lawsuit involving the city. Question, you instructed her to write this, didn't you? Answer. I can't answer the question, but the answer would be no. Dieters' involvement with Dan Brooks, Mark Fitzgerald, and the salary was again being litigated. The tone that he sets in this meeting every time he is in here and he 
uh, berates counsel, and he, he just sets an image and a tone that is inexcusable and unacceptable. Matt, if you're going to do a vote of no confidence, I think that the person that you're doing it has the ability to ask you probing questions about it, and that you would stand up to to scrutiny about it. I'm willing to stand up to scrutiny. Well, then, I'm not willing okay, to. Okay, we disagree. We can, what's the other point? You said you had numerous points. I'm here to listen to all of them. I, I don't think you've listened once, sir. I think you've interrupted every single oh, time I've tried to say Excuse me. And I, no, excuse me. I have a motion for six point six. Right okay. now, I have a point of privilege. For, for 6.6. At, at that point, I just kind of thought that this relationship has just gotten to the point where it's it's just not, it's, it's just soured to the point uh, because I'm getting a different perspectives, different points of view on things. And I felt it was time, which he has no power to do a no confidence vote. I mean, I, I knew that the mayor wouldn't say, all right, well, we're going to get rid of him. Um, but it was just bait, and I, I didn't, I could have sent out um, press releases and things like that. I intentionally kept it quiet for it to be a, hey, I'm not happy here. Figure out a better way uh, to service on this. Mr. Dieters, is that acceptable for you? be fine. I would have preferred that to have happened before we got to this point, Madam President. See, uh, that's uh, Madam President, I have to, I, again, I have to interrupt here. Because we, again, have a personal attack there. I would have preferred to have consistent advice. I mean, we don't need to end everything with a personal attack. Next time. Please support Tear It Down by supporting our sponsor, Rhyming Regards. Congrats and enjoy the reprieve. But know there's still much to achieve. For it's not what you've done, it's this path you've begun that determines the mark you will leave. Rhyming Regards is the one-stop shop for all of your limerick needs. Have them create custom announcements, holiday cards, and drip marketing campaigns. Or choose from existing designs. That's RhymingRegards.com.